0: Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP, Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Wednesday, November the 23rd, 2022, and this show will be rebroadcast on Monday, November the 28th, 2022, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 134th post-COVID show, a new world but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis, with your host, Pedro Gatos. Again. Thanks for joining us. We have a sensational show tonight, as quite frankly, we have every Monday night. If your interest is to get as close to the truth as any news and analysis show will allow you, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Bringing Light into Darkness, where we invite you to join in our weekly Pursuit for Social Justice, a pursuit where we seek to separate fact from fiction and where we acknowledge uncertainty, where we seek to deconstruct deceit. By identifying where unproven allegations are presented as fact through repetition in the absence of evidence and where uncertainties are approached from a humble critical thinking perspective because our interest is in deconstructing deceit and oppression not enabling it tonight we return to a primary theme of bringing light into darkness fair trade versus free trade which underlies The creation and maintenance of gross wealth inequality among nations and how the wealth of weaker countries in this hemisphere is transferred to the largest Western multinational corporations through the strength of U.S. government economic and military collaboration with those U.S.-led Western investment capital driven interests. The proof of this hypothesis largely lies within the simple but well-hidden reality that U.S. foreign policy leaves in its wake in country after country the most incriminating evidence. Namely, that the majority population is consistently left with an inferior quality of life when U.S. foreign policy objectives succeed. Tonight you can find irrevocable proof of that claim and learn how you can support fair trade. Enjoy. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP, Horn to be Austin. This is Bringing Light into Darkness. This is your host, Pedro Gatos. Today is Wednesday, November the 23rd, 2022. And this show will be aired live on Monday, November the 28th, 2022. Before introducing our guests, I wanted to share that this particular show, our interest is focusing on an important event that's coming up to support women in fair trade and framing the show on how free trade has created profiteering, unrestrained wealth accumulation, and egregious levels of wealth inequality at one end of the spectrum, while creating misery in the form of poverty and extreme poverty for the majority populations of the world as an inverse result of that profiteering at the other end of the wealth distribution spectrum. That result from the exploitation that by definition profiteering generates. But tonight we wish to juxtapose free trade with the concept of fair trade, with the understanding that fair trade dignifies the producers of products that enter the marketplace while capitalism promotes free trade. And with that, the inherent exploitation of the labor of others. And that fair trade promotes the opposite. It's a pushback against the exploitation by dignifying producers, by paying them a fair wage for their labor and the costs of production. Colonialism and neocolonialism of Latin America by Western Anglo-Saxonism imperialism has changed the masters of the colonizers from epic to epic, but not its victims, the indigenous peoples of Central and Latin America and other places, of course. But as a result, the economies of the South have been subordinated to profiteering, and as a result of that, their economies have been ransacked by that profiteering, which really includes creating economies dependent on one or two export products and or the direct exploitation of a country's raw materials. For example, if you go to 1929, Central America and this concept of neo-dependency was replacing slave economies these one or two crop economies so in other words when you look at like say central america for instance in costa rica and this is according to walter lefebvre in his book inevitable revolutions but he shows that in costa rica they had 18 million dollars in exports that overwhelmingly went to the united states but they were all in just two products basically 12 million in coffee 5 million in bananas so 17 of the 18 million dollars is tied up in two crops In El Salvador, they had the same total of about 18 million in exports, but 17 million in El Salvador was in coffee and 1 million in sugar. So that was the totality of the 18 million, two crops. Guatemala, it was 25 million in exports in 1929, 19 million in coffee, 3 million in bananas. So 22 of the 25 million in exports, two crops. And then in Honduras, also 25 million in exports with 21 million going in bananas alone. So 21 out of 25, one crop. And then finally, Nicaragua, out of the 11 million in exports, 6 million were in coffee and 2 million were in bananas. So you can see that the 8 out of the 11 million were in these two export crops. And anytime you are dependent on one or two crops or one or two exports, then you're at the whim of the world economy. And The people that are making good money of the multinational companies that own and exploit these resources make a killing, but the indigenous peoples of these countries are at the whims of the economy. In other words, profiteering is prioritized over people, over the local population's needs. The sovereignty of a country has been usurped by private interests. But anyhow, that free trade penetration by these powers have had the inverse result of creating living conditions that, relatively speaking, actually continue to this day in these countries, and that fair trade is really the antithesis of free trade in that it is based on justice being compensated fairly for the value that the labor of these producers expend and create. And that is really what this Women and Fair Trade event promotes that we wanted to kick our show off with. I want to introduce a very special guest, a tireless worker for social justice, a good friend, Josefina Castillo. Welcome back to Bringing Light into Darkness.
1: Thank you, Pedro. I'm very happy to be here again with you.
0: Austin Tancerca de la Frontera, you formed this nonprofit back in 1999. And since 2010, it has been operating as a nonprofit. And it originally, it seems, was born from the organization of this Quaker group, the American Friends Service Committee. Can you tell us a little bit about the mission of Ostentant Cerca de la Frontera and about the upcoming free trade event that is later this week?
1: Sure. So, our mission is based on raising awareness of the economic injustice along the Texas Mexico border, and for that purpose, also offering alternatives to free trade because free trade has been installed in the maquiladora sector, which maquiladoras mean foreign-owned plants that make parts to be shipped back to the U.S. unlabeled uh, here with uh, U.S. corporations or outside Mexico, Mexico corporations. So when the free trade agreement was enacted in 1994, it was supposed to offer labor labor To workers in the maquiladoras. The problem is that they put a top to the salary ever since then, and it didn't bring any benefits neither to the workers nor to their way of living. So we know about that because we have been organizing delegations to the border ever since 1999, as you mentioned, when Austin Tancerca was a program of the American Friends Service Committee in Austin. When that program was closed by the AFSC office, that means the American Friends Service Committee office, it was closed due to the economic downturn of 2008. So we had to close the office of the AFSC. But then some of the supporters of the program wanted to continue with that part that was Austin tan cerca de la frontera? So two years later, in 2010, we became a nonprofit. And since then we have been working as a nonprofit and organizing delegations to the border to see uh, firsthand and hear uh, firsthand stories about workers and, and their work and how there hasn't been any profit for their wages or living conditions, but actually it, it has been a profit for the corporation. So we know firsthand about these conditions and that's a unique way of, because you can hear about rare trade, you can read about it, but there is nothing that gives you a better idea than firsthand witnesses of uh, mm-hmm. living and working conditions a- along the border. So th- those are, are our delegation.
0: So, what Austin Ton Cerca de la Frontera does are a few things. One of them is to actually have regular delegations that go down to these border areas so that you can actually experience these conditions, economic inequalities that they generate experientially. So, that's one thing that you do. You also have been sponsoring, I'm not sure for how long now, but this Women in Fair Trade. Can you tell us a little bit about that upcoming event too? Sure.
1: So this is our 18th event, the annual event that we have organized since 2004. I, we didn't offer it in 2020 due to the pandemic, but in 2021, that was last year, we did. And it's an alternative. This uh, Women and Fair Trade Festival is based on fair trade and educate people and, and listen actually to the stories of the cooperatives that we invite from several parts of the world, listen to their stories and see how all the profits obtained from that sale go directly to the communities they represent. So this is an alternative that people should know to free trade, which is the the general way of
0: uh, consuming goods. And so I think that's important what you say and my experience is that that the people that are attending the fair trade festival and as vendors are actually representing collectives of their own
1: they have to be cooperatives
0: yeah they, they have to be cooperatives okay so right. it's not individuals selling products but they're part of a larger cooperative which is again the essence of fair trade right. to equally divide the income that comes from the production of these gifts so there is no middleman
1: Exactly. It's getting rid of middlemen and the profits going directly to the producers. Mm-hmm. And the producers are, some of them are indigenous people mm-hmm. and uh, their crafts are beautiful. You know, they are unique. Some of them are a one product, a one time product that was elaborated by their hands. And it's a, it's a beautiful stuff, as you know.
0: Well, before we go to our next segment of the show that I want you to stay tuned to, Tell us when the event occurs and how people can find out more information about the the event.
1: Yes, uh, the Women and Fair Trade Festival is coming up December the 3rd, which is a Saturday, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., only one day. So we invite all the listeners to support these cooperatives and to listen to their histories. Uh, All of them, which are like eight cooperatives, are going to talk about who profits, how they go to to them, who are the, the women that are behind all these products, so you can also listen to their stories. And this is going to be at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, 4700 Grover Avenue.
0: And if people want more information, your website information that they can access.
1: Yes, uh, they can go to atcf.org. Yeah. ATCF stands for Austin Tan cerca de la frontera. Yeah. And also, if you want to learn more about fair trade cooperative economy, we are organizing a presentation by Colomayetik, the indigenous Mayan women from weavers from Chiapas, from a cooperative in, in Chiapas called Colomayetik. And we'll learn about how workers can thrive through a cooperative model and challenging the free trade model, and also about all the challenges that they had during the pandemic and how can we create, through our support, we can create a just cooperative economy. This is going to be at Trinity Church on 4001 Speedway on uh, December 4th at 2 p.m.
0: So that'll be the Sunday following the event. Right. Perfect. Well, let's do this. I'd like to segue into a show that we did actually following the coup in Honduras back in June of 2009. There was a coup. And the reason I want to play this is that this is an economist that I interviewed from the Center for Economic Policy Research. His name is Dr. Jose Antonio Cordero. He's a Ph.D. economist. And he explains how the Manuel Zelaya administration that was in power for three years through 2009 were making all of these very positive changes that resulted in the redistribution of this gross wealth inequality. And as a result, the Manuel Zelaya administration got cooed out in 2009. But it's a fascinating account of how this particular government was trying to do a little bit more towards the fair trade side of the pendulum here than the free trade and was having great success benefiting millions of poor Hondurans and I think it's really instructive because On the show, we've gone through and we've shown in the U.S. foreign policy how we supported this terrible coup in Honduras. We also supported the ouster of Rafael Correa in Ecuador, whose government from 2007 to 2017 had measurable improvements for the majority population that we've discussed on the show before. And in Bolivia, under Evo Morales from 2006 to 2017, His government did the same, improved the working conditions incredibly for the majority population, but the United States' interests eventually reversed that government. And people, I think, are familiar with Haiti, but the Fanmi Lavalas party, founded in 1996 with its leader Aristide, made tremendous strides that, again, the West, the United States led multiple coups, overthrew only after many of these positive things were implemented with Haiti. As just one small but significant example of the popular reforms introduced by the Aristide Lavalas administration, where the healthcare system had the highest proportion of public spending attributed to it ever. What is important to understand, we have documented on previous shows an array of indices that show how Haiti's government under Aristide resulted in huge quality of life improvements for the majority population of Haiti. We will not re-detail them here, but they are available for your perusal. Yet the Aristide government is precisely the government that we undermined, overthrew on multiple coups and reinstated at our whim under our conditions, not theirs. The point here is that this is not an aberration, that when the United States intervenes in a foreign policy initiative as a consistent and general rule that the majority population's quality of life plummets. It's a consistent outcome. We alluded to Ecuador and Bolivia, and I want to give you some concrete examples here, but again, we've detailed them more on past shows. But in addition to Ecuador, Bolivia, and Haiti in Libya in 2011, under Gaddafi, the majority population in Libya lived under the best living conditions to be found in the whole continent of Africa, as measured by the Human Development Index. In other words, you had all your major needs met and lived better nowhere else on the continent of Africa when it came to nutrition, education, and the basic indices that humanity needs. Yet the American public were lied to by claiming that we were engaging in a humanitarian intervention under President Obama and NATO in 2011. Why would the country that had the highest human development index of all of Africa need humanitarian intervention unless it didn't? When we turn to Bolivia, Evo Morales, he served as the president of Bolivia from 2006 to 2019, and he was the president that we actively sought to remove, and eventually did. His government in those 13 years reduced illiteracy from 13% in 2006 to 2.4%. In 2018, his government lowered unemployment rates from 9.2% to 4.1%, the lowest in the region in that same period. His government reduced moderate poverty from 60% to 34.6%, and extreme poverty was reduced from 38.2% to 15%. His government built more than 5,000 educational centers, more than 1,000 health facilities, created financial assistance for the elderly and for the children, and as of 2019, when he left office, it was the fastest-growing country in the region, raising the GDP, to $43 billion, up from some $9 billion in 2005 when the Morales government took power. This all according to Evo in Bolivia, Bother the Empire, a November 14, 2019, a research article by Oscar Sanchez Seda. In Ecuador, the Carilla government, another government that we actively tried to overthrow and inhibit and eventually did, get the change of government we desired. That government in Ecuador, from 2007 to 2016, over that 10-year period, the majority population improvements included a 38% reduction in poverty, a 47% reduction in extreme poverty. Social spending as a percentage of GDP doubled. It included large increases in spending on education, health care, new roads, hospitals, schools, and access to electricity. Educational enrollment increased sharply for ages seventeen and under, and spending on higher education as a percent of GDP became the highest in Latin America. The average annual growth of income per capita was much higher than in the prior twenty six years, at one point five percent versus zero point six percent, almost a threefold increase. Meanwhile, inequality was considerably reduced. These are all detailed and sourced out from Dr. Mark Weisbrot, the co director of Center for Economic Policy Research, in an article he wrote called Ecuador's Left Wing Success Story, February 14, 2017. So, Ecuador, Bolivia, Libya, Haiti, and we will be turning our attention to the documented improvements under the Zelaya government in Honduras until we engineered the coup that removed Manuel Zelaya from presidency in June 28th of 2009. Again, the take-home message should be very disconcerting to anyone that seeks to promote democracy, namely that whenever the United States foreign policy gets its way, the majority population in those countries goes down the drain. This is a general rule that is verifiable, as we have shown in this and previous Bringing Light Into Darkness episodes. So the important learning lesson for those of us that are truly dedicated to the pursuit of social justice is twofold. First, the analogy that to address a health problem, you often have to go to the root of the problem. If I have a bacterial infection marked by a fever, etc., I mean, I can take Tylenol and reduce the fever, However, to stop the bacterial infection, the bacterial infection itself must be often addressed, perhaps by antibiotics, to kill the disease, or my condition may never improve. So is the case, it seems, for the immigration crisis on our southern border. Building fences and massively patrolling our border addresses, inhumanely I might add, a symptom, but not the root problem. The root problem... The data clearly suggests is our foreign policy and neocolonialism in general. It impoverishes the majority populations of countries in the South while making huge profits for multinational corporations and for a a small sliver of the indigenous people of those host countries. Because the conditions are so unfair, repressive governments armed to the teeth must repress those that rightfully speak out and demand livable working conditions. The combination of the poverty created by definition by this imperialist exploitation of resources and indigenous slave labor wages it creates, along with the repression needed to keep people in their place, that's the root problem that creates the horrible choice for the majority populations of the South. That is, to remain in their unlivable communities that increasingly spawn gang violence, or risk life and limb to emigrate to the North. If we held our foreign policy and the multinational corporations they largely serve accountable to fair trade rather than free trade policies and mandates, many less people would be fleeing their home countries seeking asylum in the United States. So in that framework, I wanted to go ahead and play this interview to show how the same thing, this is a microcosm of the same thing that went on in Honduras and for people to understand the importance of paying attention to U.S. foreign policies and its real impact on majority populations of the world. Keeping in mind the simple barometer that Ronald Reagan made famous with the words, are you better off now than you were four years ago? Take a listen.
2: Welcome. Today is November the 12th, 2009. We are blessed to have on the phone with us Dr. Jose Antonio Cordero in just a second. He is a senior economist at the Center for Economic and Policy Research. But first, I wanted to share some introductory remarks to set our stage for the discussion that will follow. When you closely study The economic destitution throughout Central America, since its colonial conquest began in the 15th century, you find a history of powerful colonial masters, one replacing another, in which while its victims remain the same, the methods of its economic exploitation continue to evolve. While it was the Spanish and Portuguese that initiated the colonial pillaging of Latin America and the Caribbean, they were eventually replaced by the growing imperial powers of the Dutch and, to a greater extent, the French and the British powers, as practically the whole North American continent became their domain.
0: But before we describe how the United States became the dominant Western power of the hemisphere, we need to take a quick pause for the cause. This is 91.7 KOOP. Hornsby, Austin will be back in a flash.